Hello and welcome to another episode of the Selfish Podcast. Today we have Dr. Monica Jackson, who I'm excited to connect with, share with you, the audience, and get to know a lot more and just find out her life, her story, and her journey. So welcome and welcome, Dr. Monica. How are you today? And can you share with me in the audience, where in the world are you and what time of day is it for you? Thank you for having me, uh, Luke. I'm so excited to speak with you and your audience. And I am in Southern California in the USA, and it's sunny. It's about 100 degrees out today, and it's a beautiful day. Uh, nice. I am from the UK, but I'm in Spain at the moment, and it is incredibly hot. I don't know what it works out to your temperature, but it's 40 degrees here in Spain, um, okay. which I think is 110 maybe in yours. I'm not Ooh. too sure. <laughs> That's hot. It's very hot. <laughs> Luckily, it's the evening that we got this call because it's 9 p.m. here for me. My only issue now is possibly mosquitoes, but I've got a cover to wrap over. So halfway through the show, you might see me uh, swatting a few mosquitoes or wrapping myself up. <laughs> it is quite bright for, for 9 p.m., you said? Yeah, 9 p.m. The sun is hasn't set yet. It will be dark around 10, half 10. It starts to get really dark. Oh, wow. But, yeah, very long days at the moment. Very hot, <laughs> very long days. Wow. Kind of so, nice to have a long days. Yeah, no, you can get, well, I say you can get a lot done. With the heat, I find it really hard. I can feel how much energy it takes to just to do basic tasks when it's so hot. Yeah, Luckily, yeah. I am next to a river, so I've been jumping in and out of that pretty much every hour. I think I've been in it six or seven times already today just to cool down. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, good. What, what I like to do with my guests to get to know them on a more personal basis is start from the beginning and hear about their childhood. Can you paint me a picture of what life was like for you, say, pre-10 years old? Like, what did you, what did your parents do? Where did you grow up? And how was life? Wow. Ooh, that, that, that question I wasn't expecting, but <laughs> 10, 10 years. Um, I'm going to say I grew up prior to 10 with my mother and my stepfather in Southern California, we were a very close-knit family. We did a lot of things just celebrating. We were a very religious family. We attended church every Sunday, pretty much sun up to sundown on a Sunday. We, Our friends were in church. We did a lot of church activities. We um, actually lived what we were taught. We did a lot of family outings, um, always family gatherings. Um, my mother used to sell a product called uh, Mary Kay, and that's a part of that. skin care line. And my mother and father both sold uh, products called Amway, and Amway had all different types of, you know, anything from house cleaners to skin care, just everything. And so every Friday. We would kind of have, you know, get together at our house. Everybody would come to our home, extended family. We had fish fry. We weren't Catholic, although Catholics tend to do fish on Fridays. We had a fish fry, but it was always just a time of gathering and get together. The holidays, 4th of July, we were always at a beach, at a picnic, um, just having lots of fun, making homemade ice cream and um, just all of the extended family. My mother is the youngest of just say, I can't remember how many brothers and sisters, um, maybe like 12 or 13. And wow. then my stepdad is the oldest of like 12 or 13. 
So the dynamics were totally different. You had the baby of the family and the eldest of the family. So it was just kind of different back then. Oh, amazing. Um, that's but a, overall, a family. had a great childhood, you know? <laughs> Uh, no, that's incredible. And it's so beautiful to hear. It's uh, very inspiring to hear about someone that's just had a beautiful family life, especially for me to have that generations all gathering and actually spending quality time together, I think is crucial and just such a beautiful way to start your life. So no, yes. nice to hear. And what was yes. school like for you? School was, um, I, I love school. I matriculated through school. I, I was a very obedient child. I, you know, like I said, I just love school. We, we had elementary school. We went to junior high. Um, I actually went ahead and went to college. I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. And um, that was because a math teacher inspired me to go to college. Mm -hmm. I went ahead and got, went, gone to school. I got my master's degree uh, in the midst of going through a rocky marriage and trying to not put so much on him, so to speak, so that I have a different outlet. So I went back to school, got my master's degree, and then eventually through life, because of another mishap of losing jobs and careers, I decided to go back to school and get my doctorate degree. And so I use obtaining knowledge and going back to school as, as an outlet for me. That's kind of my healing process doing something constructive. It takes away from the wounds of life or things that you don't want to deal with. And that's how I went through education. <laughs> oh, nice. Apologies, the wind just picked up if it's disturbing my mic at all, but it should be fine. Sounds what, fine. What comes to mind first, not necessarily what was first, but in your early life, what was like, a, what struggle or stress comes to mind? Mm. The struggles and stress that comes to mind I'm going to go back to when, and I'm not going to say that I truly remember all, everything, but for some reason, I still see this vision. And when I was two or three years old, I had a playmate. We had, I had a playmate that I played with and it was a little girl and her brother was just a few years older than her. I don't know how old, but he was a bigger guy, just say maybe three or four. And we played. I remember them having this big brown house next to ours, almost like a gingerbread house looking. And our home, we lived in a, a quad, a quadplex. So that's four different homes, kind of in an apartment style. And literally, I remember hearing sirens, hearing ambulance and fire trucks and different things like that. And I still, you know, I'm I'm 57 years old now. I'm telling you something that happened when I was two or three. I still vividly remember that. Yeah. I don't recall what happened. All I know is that I no longer saw my, my little friend anymore. And what happened, what I was told had happened was her brother actually found um, his father's weapon and accidentally shot her. And she died. Ooh. So at three years old, I think about this now because I learned to adapt at a very young age. I learned to deal with loss at a very young age. I learned to continue to move on in the process of a loss, not really knowing that, but that was my, uh, my was the first wound that I can relate to that really had an impact on me. 
not knowing that until years later. Yeah, no, it's an incredible story and very impactful. Like you said, it's such vision of it now, so such clarity and yes. remembrance of exactly what, how it was and what happened. And yeah. just out of interest, do sirens now, do they startle you at all or no effect? Does it bring it back? No, they, they don't. Um, and it was so funny because I, I really wanted to go back and find this house again. Mm. And I don't recall the street that it, I do recall the street. And I just want to drive back over there and just see what the neighborhood looked like, um, just to reminisce and see what what triggers, not necessarily negative triggers, but what comes to mind. Um, that's just something that I want to do. <laughs> yeah, nice. And do you remember in your earliest memories, do you remember the first sort of dream or ambition or something you just wanted to do with your life? Um, the first ambition... Gosh, I, I think we all probably want to be a doctor <laughs> or a lawyer. And um, I think because I, I live next door to a nurse and I would always see her smiling. Mm. And that's, you know, she always just seemed happy helping people. And of course, I didn't go into medical, <laughs> but um, that's kind of something that I thought about doing initially. Nice. I was actually relating with this with someone else and on on a podcast episode and she was talking about just one tiny little interaction she had. It was with a nurse as well that she was in the hospital for a lot of her childhood and she goes, one nurse just treated her a certain way. And she goes, that just changed her whole life. And I think that just shows us how important every moment is. You know, you don't know how yes. you're going to impact someone else, what influence Absolutely. you're going to give. It can, can change and form someone's life so easy, easily. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so now you you said you got your doctorate and yours. What 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 do you do do with it now? What's your practice? What do you do? Well, what I do now is um, I am an instructional designer. I'm a, my uh, I design training programs and curriculum for universities and businesses. And my doctorate degree is in educational leadership. So that's kind of what I do. I teach part time for universities as well. Um, and it was something I just stumbled into. It wasn't something that I set out to do. Um, but you know, sometimes when you go through life, I believe you find certain passions, certain things that interest you are things that are placed in you that you never realized were there. And it's not until life happens to you that you start to realize your purpose, your mission, you know, what you really want to do, mm. the impact you want to make. And unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, you have to go through sometimes being wounded in life to get to where you should be. Not exactly well put. It's very much how my life has been. And my, <laughs> let's explain to you briefly, you might not know my history. I had a really traumatic childhood and come, I didn't have the family that you had in that way I grew up with my mum as a single mother I saw my father on the weekends briefly um, but during the week my mum had severe schizophrenia like really really bad and that caused a lot of issues at home and a lot of bizarre things I had suicidal issues from like seven years old and yes. I was really depressed most of my life about 20 years and um, it was very chaotic and it wasn't until I sort of went through more trauma more more stress and more chaos and I had my last suicidal moment in about 2015. And I was literally standing on a bridge about to jump into six lanes of traffic. 
because I just couldn't take the stress of life that was happening around me. My mum had committed suicide seven times that year and they hadn't worked, but I had to take her to hospital. My love, Danielle, she was 29 and she had a cardiac arrest and she was told she was brain damaged, wheelchair bound, and I became her full-time carer. And the foreseeable future was bleak, to say the least. And I just couldn't, after so many years of trauma, I couldn't envision how life could feel good. But something within me sparked. Something said, like, you can find joy in life within you, no matter what. And I went on a new path, and it wasn't instant, but it was a big part in that transformation was that life is serving me in all moments. I'm here to be of service, and life is serving me. It may not look like it, but it's happening. And then once that perception changed, suddenly I could see things in a different light. Suddenly I had faith. Like I was brought up in a, a Christian sort of background when I was a child, mainly through my nan's Irish. And it was through her sort of upbringing that she brought the religion in. But when she passed, that went. And when I was a child, I prayed and prayed and I felt I got no answers. Nor did I see family or anyone taking it seriously. So I sort of like, oh, this isn't serious. You know, there wasn't really any study. There wasn't any weekly events none of that happened so it was like that sort of become dismissed and then i became dismissal of the whole system and the idea of faith would make me cringe you know it made me uncomfortable um and now i call myself a man of faith you know it's like there's a faith in life there's a beauty in life and and you can thrive in that in chaos and that was the sort of epiphany that i had and apologies there's a motorbike coming past where i am in nature there's a dirt track and uh so it might be a little bit noisy just for a second just wait for him to pass. But yeah, that, that was a big transformation for me was going through that process and realizing exactly how you said it and coming to that. With that, like you said, it's a choice. You can see it either way if you want. But one is a much more beautiful sight and one isn't. And I've seen both and I definitely want to stick to one just because it's much more comfortable. I can smile. I couldn't smile for years. I can smile just for nothing almost, just for life, just for living. Yeah. Well, and, and I want to touch on what you some of the things that you just said, because, yes, I told you about my childhood. I told you about how I was raised, how I had a great childhood family. That changed. Mm. That changed. It was no longer um, the family that I thought it was. It was an illusion. As oh. I said. We grew up in a, in church, grew up as a faith, you know, my parents end up divorcing. And I want to say that I did not see growing up and I did not know better that people were only talking their faith, not living their faith. Mm. I didn't realize that people spoke of this God, but wasn't living as if there was a God. I didn't see them. I saw how they act on a Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, life was totally different for them. In their language, in their actions, uh, one of the things that I definitely pride myself on is being very authentic, who I am all the time. My language of voice may change, but overall, my character, my integrity is the same, no matter what. And I found that growing up, that wasn't the case with even in my family. They had this illusion, 
But did you value your marriage or did you value your life? Were you excessive and and tipping out, so to speak? So I talk about in my book, Wounds of Wisdom, about growing up in the church and literally seeing my stepfather behind a building with a woman that wasn't my mother. Mm. Um, I talk about um, later in life about my mother being in an adulterous relationship for over 40 some years. The impact that that had. And we keep quiet, we keep silent, and it's accepted. It's condoned. And a lot of times too much in life is condoned. We keep silent about things and it hurts people. It wounds people. People live as if they are the only ones impacted by their decisions in their choices. I think people are very self-centered, not selfish. Selfish means self-care. We're not taught to love ourselves. We're taught to do and fit in to what society wants us to become. I believe that if we say things enough or are taught things enough, hear it over and over, we will believe it. And I think too many people don't know themselves. And I know that for me personally, I struggled in many areas with respect to my wit and my instinct. I kept silent when I should have spoken up. I didn't speak up because I was concerned about not telling the family business, not wanting to embarrass anyone, not wanting to look, you know, upholding an image that someone else had given me to be, not necessarily who I was. So it wasn't until I was severely wounded by my family, by my church, by my workplace, that I said, you know what, Dr. Monica, you're losing all of these other things. People could care less about you. And I feel that way, that people really don't care about you unless there's something they can get from you or you have to offer them when it's convenient for them. They want you to be there for them, but when you need them, they're not there. And I often, I talk, in my book, I talk about friends wounds. There's a chapter in there. One thing about me is I always will speak up. Um, I'm not gonna tell you what to do. I'm gonna say, here's some options you choose. If something is wrong, I'm gonna bring it to your attention. If it's right, I will say so. That's just the type of person I am. And sometimes when you walk in authentic, being authentic and true, people can't handle that. People want you to be what they want you to be. They want you to stay in this system that is not embracing you, staying in this place that's harming you, going back into a place that's wounding you. And it's no wonder we see all these abusive relationships. We see so much going on in the world because we're condoning things. We're not dealing with it. And, you know, I I mean, just something simple as calling a friend and saying you need to talk. 
and friends that you've known years, 20 some years, but they can't even pick up the phone and call you back. <laughs> you know, or you, there's a misunderstanding and you say, well, hey, let's talk about this. Oh, I don't want to talk to you because now they're embarrassed by it. I don't want to talk to you anymore. And then years later, they'll reach back out to you and say, I accept your apology. Well, you accept my apology, but you didn't apologize for what you did. There's no accountability. And so it's just amazing how I see society differently now. I see family different now. I see church different now. I see religion. I see things for what they are, not for what I want them to be. There's a difference in my faith. And there's a difference between faith, foolishness, and fallacy. And I don't think a lot of people understand those differences. Yeah, no, I, I resonate with everything you said. And um, <laughs> I feel for me, like another part that changed for me is because that, that at one point during my sort of growth, that became painful. That became its own form of suffering. And it's like you break through these sort of childhood traumas, you break through these, these issues and you feel sort of good about things. And then you get this whole new outlook and this whole new system of pressure. And, you know, and like you said, how, how society is viewed, how things are, how people behave and interact. And like you said, especially when it comes to the closest ones, family and friends, people you grew up with, for whatever reasons, whether it's the technology at hand, the lifestyle, the health, whatever it is that's happened. And uh, I found for me, apologies again, there's noise. There's a couple of dog walkers going past now. It's been silent all day up until this point <laughs> but um yeah for me it was just i had to keep telling myself like i can be of influence but i have no control over anyone else's life's decisions how they behave my emotions my feelings my choices they're independently all mine <laughs> and i can do what i want and that's all that matters and if i can influence with that great if i can't i can't but i'll try you know, but I'm not going to be concerned if they don't adhere to it. If they don't, like you said, I'll stay authentic. I'll be myself. Yeah. You know, I've connected with people on podcasts more than I have with friends that I've had for 20 years. Thank you, know, you like for saying that. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I, I, wow, that truly resonated with me because what you just said there, I find that I connect with people that are total strangers. And why is that? Because we have chosen to be authentic. The ones, our friends, our families, church members, they're still not walking in authenticness. They are walking in this illusion of their beliefs that they don't understand what they believe. They don't even know what they believe. They're doing this because this is what they've been taught to do. And when you find that that system has rocked, your world, so to speak, when you realize you can't even go and return to the same people where you found solace, you can't because they can't relate to you. They can't, they can't be true. They can't speak what's true. They won't speak, you know, they won't even ask questions. They'll just go along with. And it's, it's I find that through my book, the people I've met have just been amazing. These have been come, these people have reached out to me more than my family have, more than, and I'm talking about my, my blood family, my so-called church family. Um, I talk about in the book, these people could care less about. <laughs> they say they do, but their actions totally speak different. When they know you're going through things and they don't reach out or you reach out to them, 
and you don't get a true response, but they expect it from you. So I I totally understand what you say. I'm, I'm so grateful to this technology because during the pandemic, if it wasn't for this technology, I probably would have lost my mind. And I say that literally because you can find yourself in a state of feeling like you're going through a depression because your family lets you down, your, your pastors let you down, your mother let you down, your, your relatives let you down. Anyone you reach out to lets you down all because you won't follow what's wrong. And everybody is following what's wrong. And as if you can't speak up against it. It's, you think, if you think about the, the legal system, the legal system, and you know this person is guilty, but because there's so much politics and nobody really wants to deal with the reality and truth, they'll just accept it. And I see that too much with people. People just accept things that they have absolutely no clue about. They're more followers than they are leaders. Take, for example, this, example, this COVID. I don't know how COVID is in Spain, but you know the government told you to do this, jump through all these hoops, get this shot, get this one, get that, get this booster, go do this. And people are just you know running around fearful. I mean, just totally fearful of what somebody else is saying. How about investigating it for yourself? Where is, you know, with Christians, we talk about, uh, we, this place is not our home. We're gonna go to a better place. You know, there's the, where the, the streams are paint, you know, paved with gold, you know, this milk and honey. But everybody's afraid of dying. Nobody's ready to die. That doesn't make sense to me. I'm, you know, there's a better world, better place on the other side, but we aren't embracing that. We, I mean, some people lose their mind when their family member die or their friends die. But as a Christian, didn't we say it's supposed to be better? On the other side, how do we know it's better? How do we know it even exists? Who told us? Why do we believe this? Yeah. So I'm in a place of questioning right now. I'm in a place of you know what? I'm just not accepting some things anymore because it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah, no, and for me, it's very similar. It's like, and I'll tell you a little bit about how COVID was here, but first, I just wanted to add to that last point. And for me, it was like, I used to fear death incredibly. You know, I'd have mm-hmm. nightmares and dreams of like end of the world scenarios. I'm going to die and all these fears of death. Yeah. And I, like I said before, I had like suicidal episodes most of my life. So it's quite an irony that I was also frightened of death, <laughs> but you think about taking it. Um, it did make me question life in general, which is good and a blessing, but it was like this immense fear. Whereas now I have no fear because I'm like, if I die, I died authentically. I'm not looking for it. I'm not asking for it. I'm not welcoming it. You know, I do my best while I'm alive and I act that way. And then, if I die, then I die at some point, whether it's today, tomorrow, in a moment. I don't mind. You know, I'm, I'm not asking for it. It just happens. You know, but I'm going to live to the full while I'm doing it, being productive, being of service, you know, and trying to actually bring some harmony into the world. I'm always trying to counter that balance. I'm like, how much more balance can I bring into the world than I take? You know, because we're always taking through so many things, like you said, through others. I'm always looking at these podcasts, looking at how I serve on YouTube, and I'm just thinking, what's the most I can give? I don't care what I get. You know, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to give, 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 give as much as I can. And I think that comes from like you. It's like, 
I felt so much that everyone else just wants to take. I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, it makes me cringe. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't want to take, you know, so I'm just content in as much service as I can provide, you know, and like I said, allowing others to do whatever they want to do. You know, if I can influence them another way, I've like, like with you and your book, I've had some beautiful messages and people said really impacted their life and changed them for the better. And like we said, we don't know if that one moment changes one person and they go on to change thousands. You never know. Yeah. If yes. you can bring them something beautiful, maybe they'll bring something beautiful. And, you know, maybe this will change within time. But yeah, there's a lot of people out there with a lot of fear. Um, I found one thing through fear, it's not productive. You don't get a good job done. <laughs> Uh, with all these people out there full of fear it's like they're not in your most productive so if there is uh whatever there is a chaos an extreme event you're fearful you're not going to be productive who wants a fearful warrior going to fight to save their family you want the brave courageous one you know you think you're going to survive and as for covid here in spain it was one of the most extreme in i think europe we had uh, that in italy because they got it quite early and they shut down things and tested things, I think, before they did in the rest of Europe. And at the beginning, we were shut down for like four months, I think, where you weren't allowed to leave within 50 meters of your property. Um, if you went to the shop, it had to be the local one. You had to have a receipt. You could only have one person in a car. There'd be police stops and checks to make sure that your receipt was from the local one. And you had a sheet with your address on it to say that's where you live. So they could verify that you are from that town, that you have gone to the shop and that you have gone and shopped for food and products like that like so it was quite strict you know in that sense uh i was very fortunate in that situation that i was uh had stayed on a friend's piece of land and they were the management of a luxurious golf resort in spain and because of the event they shut down the golf course but we had permission to use the golf course as our garden and that counted as private property so we got to walk around that for the four months so that helped Nice. <laughs> weren't quite 50 meters for us but the rest was hard and and that form for me like i said with my mum having that mental illness and doctors telling me that it's most likely you're going to inherit it you could get it um they didn't really know much about it and you know it was just you was always given that fear when you was a kid and like i said full of fear and that made me really intensely control my mind and my actions uh, i went to the gym worked out. i was like i've got to take care of my body how do I take care of my mind? Don't drink, don't do drugs, don't do all them things because your mind's precious. And that led me in that very controlling mindset for a, for a long amount of time. Um, so when that happened and someone's taking that control from me, that's like a, can bring an extreme discomfort <laughs> because you're like, you're not in control. But at that same period, when that happened, I was also going through the idea that if life is serving me, if this is meant to happen, and I can't control the external. I can con only control my own internal self. It also became quite ironic and funny that I was able to go through it a lot smoother because I was just thinking, this is a really good test of that for me. Life's testing me right now to show me that I'm not in control of the external. So all that control I want, just focus it within. And, and, you know, and I love that you said that because you know one of the things I try to do, even through my book and just me as a person, to give people to tell themselves, love yourself enough to love yourself. Give yourself permission to love yourself. Give yourself permission to heal. Give yourself permission to be happy, to be at peace. And whatever that takes is what you do. Because I feel that if you're not whole, you can't serve anyone else. 
you're going to harm and hurt everyone else. You're not thinking properly, just like you were talking about this control that, you know, that we had during COVID. Well, if we're, we're under this control, we're under fear, we can't function. We can't think. I mean, I didn't know what was going on a lot of times with COVID because I didn't watch the news. I turned it off. I, I could not control it. So why allow that into my space? Um, you talk about, um, you know, or even going into a place that's not making me feel good. That's not bringing me peace. That's not bringing me, that's not serving me, adding value to my life. In fact, it's making me feel uncomfortable. And when I'm saying, talking about, I'm talking about a physical church, making you feel uncomfortable there. You're not welcome. You're not, you know, your spirit is disturbed, so to speak. But you keep going back because you're taught that. That's what you're taught to go there. But then you're on the opposite side. Well, you know, why would you continue to go somewhere that's continuing to wound you? It's almost like returning to abusive relationships. Mm. You have to change your mindset. Thing that you mentioned about your mom and her mental illness and how they said that you could have that. Well, I don't receive any of that either. And a, a, until you find your own space or someone that can tell you something different, sure enough, it can, it's possible because that's the environment you were raised in. You are doing the same things your mom's doing in that same environment. If you are doing the same things, eating the same things, same lifestyle, then you have a higher propensity of that illness. Now, if you combat that, do something differently, like you said, take care of yourself. You have a higher chance of not getting that. And I don't think we understand that. I, I believe we truly have control over our outcome. I don't care what illness is in your family. If you know it, I believe you have the control and the power to reverse that. You have to study what they're doing and not do what they did. So you don't have that same outcome. Yeah, definitely. We are too willing to accept what other people tell us. We are, I mean, so willing. The, the fear. You talked about the suicide attempt. I had a suicide attempt too. And it's interesting because you talked about it, the situation with your mother. Well, mine was with my mother too. My situation was, I think I was uh, maybe 15 or 16 years old. And the issue came out where we're church members. We are a prominent family in the church. Everybody's known us. We, I grew up in the church and all of a sudden there's this exposure of my mom's adulterous relationship at the church. Thankfully, I wasn't there. This the embarrassment that I had to deal with. The what I felt just, you know, just how people were going to look at me, how they were going to perceive me. And sure enough, some of the comments that I got from, you know, the older women or men in the church were, geared because of something my mom did. I had no control over that. I was a child. You know, some things are, oh, there's the slut's daughter. Well, how dare an adult say that to a child? You know, it's, it's just amazing how you think people are mature and they're not. You think people are loving and they're not. And it's painful. But we will never know that someone else has gone through this unless we speak. One of my, my message, my mission, and my movement is to unsilence the silence. 
silence heals. Speaking up heals. And if I, if anyone's listening, speak up. I know one of the, when I was going through some of the most painful things in my life, one of my friends, a good friend told me, oh, well, don't talk about it so much. Don't say anything. You'll just pray about it. What she did not understand was that was killing me internally by holding it in. It was literally killing me. I felt like I was dying physically. And once strangers would start asking me, how are you doing? And I said, I'm not doing too well. And they would say, why? And I would explain to them, I felt the release. I felt the weight lifting. So I encourage people to speak up and speak to strangers. Speak to strangers because you never know what that other person is going through. So as I was going through this suicide attempt because I was embarrassed. Literally, you know, I took, I took some pills. It wasn't enough to kill me. I wrote a suicide note. And, but what happened after that? The ugly things that my mother said to me. And also, we've never spoken about that incident to this day. Nobody's brought it up. Nobody said anything. Interesting, as I'm older now, I'm 57 years old, and I, of course, have written the book and, you know, spoken about it. And I didn't realize how many relatives knew this happened, but nobody came to my rescue. This is family. So what we need to do things differently. If we want a better society, we have to make better people. We have to teach people to love themselves first. Selfish, you know, selfish, literally. But we're not taught to be selfish. Teach ourselves us to love ourselves first. When we love and genuinely love ourselves, we can love others. Because at that point, we will, because we know what true love is for ourselves, we will reject anything that doesn't feel like love. We won't entertain it. We will speak up about it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's not taught. <laughs> No, and that's, um, yeah, I really want to get into that self-love bit because that's a big part of my journey as well. And I just wanted to bring up something you just said that reminded me. I found out maybe, maybe only a year ago, because um, my, my mother passed recently within like the, must be now six months ago. And during that time, I spoke to one of her sisters rung me up and we had a longer conversation than we've had in years. And um she was telling me that her and her husband were thinking when me and my brother were children that we could live with her because they were worried about our condition. I was like, I find out now. I went through my whole life thinking nobody cared. Do you know, no one come to our, like you said, to our rescue. No one wanted to take us out of the situation that was so obvious. You know, I was like, most of them didn't turn up like to visit that often because it was too much of a bad, I think, painful situation for them to envision. It's like you're leaving two children there to deal with it, to live in it, you know, in, in really dirty and unhygienic conditions without food, you know, and just in a very bizarre environment. I found if only they'd even told me, I probably would have said no when I was a child because I, I had a very caring instinct for my mother, even though I was aware that she was suffering and I still felt there was some bond of love there that was innate that I didn't want to, I wouldn't have wanted to leave her even if but I would have loved to known that someone would have had that offer. And again, they didn't speak up. They didn't voice that for whatever reason. But it's like, so if someone's listening in a sim similar situation, it's like, speak up. Like you said, say, say the things you need to say if it's actually from, from a loving place. And that brings me to the self-love 
self-love i'm not sure where it first the influence first came into my life but i remember for me it started actually um my love danielle run me a bath and i had never really had a bath you know and they always say how a female has a bath a certain way and makes it a little bit more special than a male does she'd put candles in she'd made it really nice put some music on for me and i'd never had that experience i got in the bath and she said stay in there for like an hour or two and i was like i can't do an hour or two in a bath i was like oh 10 minutes 15 minutes i just scrub and get out and she's like, just stay in there, have a proper bath, soak, it's beautiful. And she, she could spend hours in there and I didn't know how it's possible. And I was, I was in there and then I, I was just touched my arm at one point and I was looking at my own hand and arm and I was just realizing like, this is my body and I've pushed it so hard. You know, I haven't treated it with love. I've treated it like a dictator that's just, it's, my body's a slave and I'm using it to get what I want to drive, to push by any means possible. But that encouragement wasn't from love. It was from anger. It was from, like I said, it was like someone whipping you to do things rather than someone just encouraging you and saying, you can do it. You're worth it. You deserve it. Go for it. There was none of that. And I sort of had that revelation and realized, and then that started my journey to realize I didn't love myself and I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait a minute. I was just in shock because it wasn't something I had thought about. It wasn't something that I had comprehended. And I realized I didn't love myself. And I literally had to set aside time daily, even if it was five minutes or 30 minutes or an hour to just sort of contemplate and try and feel. So not just to sort of think about it, but just really try and feel what love genuinely feel like. It feels like for my own mind, for my body and for life itself. And like I said, and over time that just amplified. And in that process, I just lost all the judgments on others. You know, I felt much more this un like unbelievable feeling of sort of warmth and sharing and connection even if no one was around but for myself and that's like a, i started a youtube channel back to near the beginning of the pandemic because i saw a lot of people suffering how i had suffered from control and from depression and suicide so i thought you know what i don't feel that way anymore and a lot of that came from self-love it came from certain techniques so i was like i'm just gonna openly share as much of that as i can and like i said and just teach as much as that as i can and see if it reaches even one person and it did and it was beautiful and i was so happy that i made that step but that's what started and then like a year later after talking so much about myself i thought oh, i want to hear other people's stories and journeys you know and that's how the podcast started and that's why it was called the selfish podcast because yeah. selfishly i want to hear your story it excites me it ignites me it connects me yeah it makes me love life to hear people speak beautifully about life and all my guests have you know like you said it just happens that everyone i'm connecting with has that perspective. And then I go into sort of non-digital world and I go to, and I don't, don't seem to have too many of them interactions, especially in the towns and the cities. You know, occasionally out in nature, I might have a nice conversation, but yeah, having that ability online to connect with people like yourself is uh, a beautiful experience that I could actually enjoy and be fully embraced in. And I think a lot of that started with just the simple practices of self-love. And I think it's opening up and a big part for me was I used to say, like, I had my heart broken, like when I was younger for many reasons and different ones. And, and then I was like, do you know what? I had my heart broken open. I had to change that. I had to rewrite, rewrite that and be like, no, I was broken open so I can love more, not less, not shut down. And again, that might have come because I was just trying to control myself all the time. <laughs> but that's where it drove me to. Well, you know, and, and again, I think it comes because of false expectations. We have false expectations. Because we're never taught to be ourselves. We're mm -hmm. taught what to do. Go to school. 
you know, graduate from college, get married, have children, and live happily ever after. We're told these things, but what happens when the happily ever after doesn't happen? Then you are ostracized because, of course, church tells you God hates divorce. Well, on the flip side, it says, well, God joins together. Well, did God join me and my ex-husband together or did I join us together? So if I joined them together, then I have every right to get out of it if it's not happy. But I, I spoke to a young lady before and, you know, it's amazing. Like I say, we don't know what we don't know. And if we don't speak up and talk around the world, we will never know. She was telling me she was in an abusive marriage for thir over 30 years. She did not know it. She didn't know that she was being sexually abused by her husband. She tried to speak to her relatives and friends, but nobody was listening. Oh, just stay there. Oh, you know, it'll get better. And, you know, she's now she's a 60 year old woman that never learned to love, never had true intimacy. How sad is that? How sad is that that we can't even be true? We're, it's almost like we encourage people to fail. Mm. Yeah, and definitely what you said with the expectations. And I think like that is one th that is one thing we're taught from sort of from our parents, but from the say school system, you're taught that the expectation is all that matters and that you have to pass whatever that is. And if it doesn't have happen, you should feel bad. And like you said, you're not in control of everything. So a lot of the times your expectations are never going to be met and you're going to get something completely different. And you're going to feel terrible if you think that you're only going to feel good if they're met and if you meet them. And that was, again, as my journey went on. And it's like, I'd say the moment I got to unconditional self-love was the stability, I'd say, in my growth and my love for myself is I had to love myself unconditionally. And the only way I could do that is I had to drop all expectations of myself. I was like, I can't have any expectation on, on myself, how I behave, what I do, how I feel. I don't expect anything. I'll do my best to have balance, to have love, to have joy. But if I don't, I don't. There's no expectation. And once I released that pressure, that was like, again, then became external and I could release my expectations on others and their behaviors, on, on everything that's going on and just being like, just going what I would call being in the moment, but productive with ambitions, with a future, with, with a goal. And if that goal doesn't get met, I'll go on to the next one. I'll adapt. I'll be flexible. I'll find something else to be of service, to do something, to love life. I'm not going to have no goals, and no ambitions. But at the same time, I can detach from the expectation of the feeling is only going to be there once I get there. And yes. that, again, that was a big part, a big sort of revelation. And again, I think this is why I created this podcast is these conversations that we're having right now. This is teaching. This is going to give someone somewhere uh, yes. a new perception or something. They may never have even, like me, thought about self-love. <laughs> and they'll be sitting there going, wait. Do I love myself? And they might question it. And that might be enough to spark them into a different journey, a different life, yeah. different perception yeah. and, and work on them things. Or they might have heard, like you said, with your wounds, or they might read your book and suddenly see things in a new way. And I think it's them influences sharing, like you said, not yeah. keeping everything locked in. And for some, they might need help to share a little bit. And online, there's plenty of places to find that stability or somewhere to sort of share in a little bit of comfort. But for most, what they're sharing isn't, they're holding in things that are subtle. You know, and a lot yes. of them.
And it's like, you can talk about them things. You can say them things. Where, why are you so fearful? What's the worst that can happen? And again, it comes back to the expectation, I think. It's like, but if I say this, I expect this will happen. Yes. What if it doesn't? What if right. it does? Who cares? You've got to be yourself. Right. You've got to share. You've got to connect. Yes. We're a very social uh, creature. You know, whatever we are, we're social. That's for sure. Yeah. Isolation is definitely a punishment. <laughs> You're right. And it's so funny because I feel like um, when I wrote this book, I, I didn't set out to write this book. It was because of pain and loss. And I wrote the book literally in seven days. And I can't believe some of the things that are in the book. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Why would you say it like that? But that's how I feel. It was very authentic. And I know I actually use this book to let me see how people are going to respond to me. Let me see pe- how people are. What I'm finding and what I have found, I thought the book would offend a lot of people because I'm talking against or, or about situations and institutions that we uphold. And I, that was totally opposite. What I found is readers were saying, oh, I felt that too. I saw that too. They're just, they're just confirming everything that's in this book. And it made me feel a lot better. It made me feel, wow, okay, I wrote this. But then it angered me. It angered me because I said, here I am, 57 years old. Why didn't I know that somebody else has gone through this already? Why didn't I have someone that I could have gone through this, held my hand or just spoke to? And the reason is because we have to keep silent. We keep silent. A lot. I think we wound ourselves in many ways. We really wound ourselves in so many ways, but we don't know that. And I hope that anybody that's listening will, whatever you've gone through, your wounds, understand that there is wisdom in every single one of those wounds. And honestly, the only way you can get wisdom is to go through some wounds. You can't have a perfect life and come and have wisdom. It's impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> yeah. You know, how do you how do you gain perfect peace? You gain perfect peace by going through perfect storms because you know what those storms feel like? You don't want to go back. So you're going to look for something that's going to bring you peace. And that's what you're going to gravitate towards. Now, if you choose to stay in that negative environment, that's what you're going to stay. But bottom line, it's a choice. We have choice and free will to do whatever we want and deal with the consequences of those. And I I would hope that we stop just accepting things. Stop just trying to please others, but help. I think when you listen to what someone says, you can learn a lot about them. You can connect. One of the things that I love is that all generations, you know, 20 years old, 19 up to 80 have come to me and say, what are the things you do? You listen. You listen. Sometimes that's all we need is someone to listen. We're not looking for you to solve our problems. We just need to get it out because it's, it's we need to, release it because it's such a weight and there's no place to release it. Even, you know, you have professional therapists not speaking against therapy or anything like that. Sometimes I don't think they can relate. Sometimes I don't think that they have solutions. They have things to tell you what to do, but if you haven't been through those things yourself, you're not going to be as authentic 
when someone sits and have a conversation with me, they're going to get what I'm, you know, the authentic me. I'm not going to tell them, okay, do step one, step two, step three. The steps are not going to work for everyone. Different situations call for different solutions. We are different people and we need to embrace our differences instead of trying to make everyone the same, the same thoughts, the same beliefs, the same religion. I mean, every religion think their religion is the best. They think they know, but no one that I know have been to heaven or hell and come back to tell about it. So we don't know anything. We don't know. We believe we don't know. Big difference. Yeah, and definitely with, like you said, with the different religions, the different practices, different, and a bit like you, I noticed from a young age, uh, from where I grew up in just south of London, there was a lot of different races and a lot of different cultures. So that brought a lot of different religions. And I was fascinated by them because I had already questioned my own upbringing and noticed people not saying one thing and not following it. And that straight away was really, I think as a child, you notice them things because you've been given rules a lot. And then when you see the adults not actually following the rules and realizing as you grow up, they follow them even less. It's really like, well, how can I listen to this person? Because they don't listen to themselves. <laughs> so you're like, I can't. You start, and I started to notice that in pretty much every religious group and people yes. practice it in every different way. Some yes. are super strict, some are super loose, some are strict on holidays. Some, you know, it was like all of them had such flexibility in how they practiced and preached and what yes. they believed, what they did. And, and a lot of it was to be in, to have a community, to have a group, I think, yes. to just have other people that we've got the same label. We can be the same, like you said, in conforming and losing your own individual uniqueness, your own individual insignificance. Um, yes. And like you said, so it's great you're saying that because I think that is people need to know how individual they are, how significant they are, and how much like life they have. And like you said, you can have a life of faith, you can have a life of God, you can have a life with a label if you want, you can have a religion, but do you adhere to it? Do you you got to be authentic to yourself right. and realize like yeah. is what I'm preaching, is what I'm reading, does that feel right to me? If so, act on it and actually follow through. If you're not going to follow through, question it and think and look somewhere else. <laughs> right. You know, because I think we're, you know, I really believe that we have forgotten how to be humans. We don't know how to be human beings. And I say that because if I, if, if, if you offend me or if you hurt me, I should be able to come to you and we should have, a, be able to have a conversation. We should be able to have a conversation as to, Okay, this is how you made me feel. This is what happened. I didn't like this. And we should be able to resolve that. But what I get, you know, the Bible says, go to the, the person that I've been. When you go to these people and you're ostracized, you're told you're out of line, you know, you're wrong. But that's because they're trying to get something from you. And they're, it's, 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 I think it's the saddest thing. Or if you go to them and you need help, and someone say, okay, well then pay me to pray for you. Pay me to listen to you. You know, it's, it's really, the, it's just sad um, what we are experiencing. Of course, you pay anybody, they're going to do exactly what you want to do. Where's the being authentic in that? So I, I just hope that, you know, people start taking time to themselves and get to know themselves. And I think, honestly, I think that's what the pandemic was trying to teach us. You know, it separated us. It's, it isolated us. It required us to be with ourselves. Some people never have been along with themselves and were forced to be with themselves because of that. 
They found themselves in that. I know I wrote this book during the pandemic, literally last year. So I understand, you know, we, again, that's a wound. COVID was a wound, but there was wisdom that came out of that. There's a yeah. lot of things. And I like the, um, I like the title wounds to wisdom. Sorry if I keep twitching a lot of mosquitoes. I are know coming your, out. your mosquitoes and, are probably... <laughs> Hopefully I've still got enough blood to walk, walk over, pack away and walk <laughs> after this. But um, yeah, the, um, the wounds to wisdom I really like because it resonates yeah. again with a lot of my journey in life. And it was for me, I often say to like trauma and dealing with it is one thing. And I said, but for me, when I changed trauma to drama and then I realized any good story has to have drama to make the character, you know? So I had to rewrite and go, what, what can I take from that trauma? What can I take from that event? What can I take from the experiences from my mom? What can I take from the suicide attempt? And actively making the intention to look for something that's useful. I think you mentioned earlier something like that to put something to use. It's, it's like you got to make these things actually useful in your life. And to me, it's useful in your service to whatever your purpose is. And I believe everyone has an innate purpose and not to, I don't normally deliberately drop in my own book, but because it resonates with exactly what you say. And I created a book during COVID, just a fairly short one. And it came by sort of chance. I was actually writing a really long book and then I ended up writing this shorter book and it was called The Self, Who Am I? And it was like trying to give a perspective and clarity in someone's identity and a direction to a purpose. Because I believe everyone has an actual core purpose. And when you're not acting towards it, you're going to start to feel unbalanced and get served by life influences to try and re-put you on your path. You know, and I think most people don't really have a core identity to actually their life and themselves. So that's right. what created for me. And what, what inspired you? And I know time's getting short. I think we're coming up to an hour. So let me know if you have to jump on. We'll do another five minutes or so. But if you have to go, let me know. Um, okay. What what sparked you to actually put that sort of say, pen? probably wasn't pen to paper these days, but what sparked you to put pen to paper to actually get the um, book going? Um, January 29th of 2021, uh, with, during COVID, I, I literally lost all of my contracts. Um, so I had lost my contracts during COVID, but I lost this one. I gained this one back and lost it again. And the comment that was made was that I wasn't meeting expectations. I had the contract for years, so that wasn't true. So two days later, you know, I, I, I felt like my God, the God that I resonate with, was waking me up every day for seven days. And I just was sitting at the computer, just typing, just typing. Everything just flowed. Everything in the book just flowed. And Seven days later, after writing eight to 10 hours a day, there's the book, Wounds of Wisdom. And it has, it was written in seven days, seven chapters, friends wounds, workplace wounds, church wounds, family wounds, marriage wounds, business wounds, and children. Wounds. And it all just flooded out. It just came out. But when I finished, I felt a release. It was, I didn't realize the weight that it was holding on me over me. I did not realize how much it was burdening me, how much I was just um, kind of going through life in many respects, not using my, my true identity and my, my gifts. And, but I saw them come out in the book and I was actually too embarrassed to release the book. And I, so I had two people read the book that didn't know me and two people who knew me, they didn't know all of the story, but all the positive feedback. 
oh my goodness, I went through this. Everybody could relate. It was just overwhelming. So again, here I am with four people that could relate that now I can talk to. I can share some of these things. I don't have to be judged. I don't have to be, well, told, just pray about it. Just go be quiet. No, we can relate. We can talk. We can help each other through these wounds. And with that, I published the book. I didn't, I, I let the book stay as is. I only moved one chapter around. And that's how this book came to be. I, I, and the positive message that is had, the feedback, it's, it's overwhelming. It's alarming to me. It saddens me, but it's also encouraging to me. It saddens me because, like I said, people are still going through this, but people are finally starting to speak out. I had someone read the book and say, your book stopped me from committing suicide. Nice. You know, another person said, your book made me feel less guilty about not going to church. I'm not trying to tell anyone what to do. What I'm telling you to do is get in touch with who you are, what you feel, and what works for you, not what, what works for everyone else. Because once you're in a place of your peace, what you can do for others, and you can serve people better when you're, when you're balanced, when you're whole, when you're healthy. We're not going to be perfect, but we're going to be better than where we were. And until you meet someone who understands that, you can't, that, and, and what's the best for you? Then you start to feel differently. And I want to say, I, I thank everybody who's allowed me to come on their podcast, who's read the book, who's purchased the book. Everyone refers me back to someone else. Go speak here, go speak there. And I'm just touched. I'm, I'm amazed by the people that I meet. I'm amazed by the stories that they share with me. And I'm happy that they trust me to share some of their innermost pains. And then they leave encouraged. They tell me things that they said they've never told anyone else. And like I tell them, okay, well, you're not the only one. Once they realize I'm not the only one, I'm not, you know, you got to be judged anyway. Some people are not going to like you. Some people are not. If they don't like you, oh, well, <laughs> let them go gravitate towards people that love the authentic you. Great. Yeah, and I definitely see in society pretty much everywhere in the world that I see. I don't I don't think there's any place so much you don't see it, but they said that fear of judgment, fear of other people's opinions and how they're going to, and it's like, if you really are so concerned about all these other people, like you said, work on yourself, you'll be able to serve yes. them. Yes. <laughs> yeah, without running yourself tired, without wearing yourself out. And like you said, that will actually right. come from a good place where it won't shake you. And you can feel that authentic. And it's, again, it's easy to say it's not an easy step straight away to take. So yes. we're both speaking yeah. about it because we've gone through a path where we've started sharing these things. We started talking about them. But there's always a bit of hesitation at the beginning. Like you said, you was embarrassed to release the book. There's, yes. So if other people, it's, these are normal feelings that are going to arise when you want to actually just let yourself a little loose and talk about things that are truly important and help you identify yourself and love yourself. Yes. In time, that continued repetition and pattern will grow. Like for me, the first time I tried to, I, I met a girl unexpectedly when I was 15, fell madly in love at first sight. And you know, then we ended up together somehow and I don't even know how it happened. And I hid my whole life. 
I kept everything a secret. She didn't even know about my mum for two years. I didn't tell her about my mum at all and somehow managed to keep that a complete secret. And um, the day that I decided for some reason to tell her, she might have even asked to meet her or something. And I couldn't utter the words, my mum's ill, without just a complete meltdown, breakdown, tears, shaking, feeling like I'm going to vomit. And that continued for apologies, that bike is returning. So I'll just give it just a moment saying that and then the more I did say it and it took many many years to many of my friends didn't really know what was going on in my life school friends or anything I tried to I had shame I had guilt I had embarrassment and all these things I didn't want to talk about it and um, it was when I like got to a certain stage and I share it with people and I saw how like you said they were actually touched by me just sharing that it encouraged them to want to share something back <laughs> you know whether it was even just how they felt about what I said well, they said they found that really inspiring that they know me now when I went through that in some way. And I was like, oh, I thought I'd keep this secret forever to the grave. You know, I thought this isn't yeah. stuff you share. You don't share your, your suffering, especially if you, I think if you really care, you, you don't want to yes. share because you feel like you might be putting that weight on someone else. The pain you felt, you might be giving that pain to someone else. And I think that comes to down to like in the right place, but with the right intentions for yourself, for your attitude, you're not trying to give it. You're actually trying to let go of it. Correct. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I want people to know that you're not alone. You know, we are we are not alone. And for whatever reason, we feel like we are alone. We're the only ones, you know, that have been through things. That are, and, and everyone's gone through something. Now, whether they're going to speak about it and whether they tell you about it, whether they're going to be really true about it, that's something different. But those of us that I believe that are true about what we've gone through. You know, and I always say, you know, and it, it always sounds negative, but I'm OK saying it now. I don't care that nobody likes me. I don't care what people think about me. I really don't. And at one time, I. People would tell me, don't say that. That sounds so negative. You know, it sounds selfish. It is selfish to a sense, but it's self it's selfish, but not self-centered. In other words, I can't please everyone. I can't make everyone like me. That's not that's not for me to do anyway. And I hope people understand that not everyone's going to like what you do. Somebody's not going to like. You can blame it on whatever your race, your, you know, ethnicity, anything. But bottom line that you're wasting, you're wasting energy and effort. I don't have time to waste on things that I can't control. The only thing that I can control is Dr. Monica. And. Hopefully, I am the example that will help someone to discover their peace, discover their joy, to live authentic, to embrace and, and pay it forward, help someone else. That's who I am. And anything that disturbs my peace, I leave it alone. I don't care who it is. It's not easy. It has not been easy. Sometimes you have to walk away, walk away from family. Sometimes you have to walk away from longtime friends. Sometimes you have to walk away from relationships, marriages. But guess what? If it brings you peace by making that decision, do. Oh, nice. Beautifully said. And so where, where can people get your book? Where is it? They can go to my website, drmonicajackson.com, and you can purchase the book there. They can book me for speaking engagements. And I also offer courses. And I have uh, recently an academy. It's called Wholeness Academy. 
And basically, I, I want to help people bring some balance and look at things differently. Let's let's deal with your wounds. Let's deal with those family wounds. Okay, we can't change it. We can't change the family. But what can you do to move forward? What can you learn from that? So each one of the courses, I have seven courses. They're all entitled from the chapter of the book. So they're overcoming like family wounds, overcoming marriage wounds, overcoming children, wounds, overcoming church wounds. And I did a survey, the top two courses that everyone wants. The number one course is overcoming church wounds. Mm, the second one is overcoming family wounds. So again, that speaks volumes. If our churches are wounding us, our families are wounding us, we need healing in those areas. And that's where our focus needs to be. Yeah, and the irony being there sort of should be the two core sort of foundations of growth and fixing your yes. wounds, say healing your wounds. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Nice. And if you do, or if you have a recommendation, like, is there, do you have a, a somewhere like a Facebook group? Is there a place where people can speak up or do you know of one? Well, I have, um, I do have a Facebook group. I have, um, you can connect with me at Dr. Monica Y. Jackson, 2022. I have another Facebook, uh, Wounds of Wisdom book on Facebook, and then on Instagram, Wounds of Wisdom uh, by Dr. Monica, and then I'm also on Twitter, Dr. Monica by Jackson. So, you know, I encourage people start speaking up. I love to hear some dialogue there. I love to hear, you know, what are some wounds? I, I am not the expert to tell you how to live your life, but I want you to open up, start speaking about these things. Start sharing. You know, I, uh, I encourage you, know, I'm going to do workshops and different things like that because I want people to take control of their lives. Stop giving that control away to others, to people who really don't care about you, who don't have your best interests at heart. Yeah, and like I said, put your own best interest into your own heart first. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Nice. And we have to learn that. We haven't learned that. And, and know that it's okay to love yourself first yeah and for me I, I believe we're born that way we're innately unconditional loving beings and we have to be conditioned out of it let's say through experience through life through programming whatever we want to call it but we have to be conditioned out of that and it's just about re-immersing yourself back into what you actually are like so getting to know yourself getting to know what what you truly are and in that space that's where you thrive because that's what you are that's what life is right i agree yeah. We're coming to the end of the show. I have just a few short, fun, one answer questions. You can elaborate a little if you feel like, but I ask all my guests the same questions. Do you have a little bit of time for them? Won't take long. Absolutely. Yeah. What's your, um, if you had to choose one, a cat or a dog? A dog. Hmm. What's your favorite color? Silver. I know it's my first silver. I don't think I've had anyone say silver. Yeah. What what sound or noise do you love? Oh, water. Water at the beach. Just the peace and the calm of the water, the waves. Nice. What sound or noise do you not love so much? Um, explosions. <laughs> Sonic <Yeah>. booms. <laughs> what do you love about yourself? I love that, that I love myself. I love that I am true to myself. I am uh, authentic. Nice. I, I genuinely love myself. Nice. Beautiful to hear. And what, what do you love to see in other people? 
I love to see joy in others. I love to see people enjoying life. Enjoy, just, just enjoying, you know, no expectations, just enjoying life, whatever that, whatever you feel like doing at that time. Nice. Very last question. What do you love about animals? This can be in nature, it can be pets, however you see animals. When I, animals, they just seem to be committed. Community. Unity. Yeah, I love that. You can learn something. Well, it's been beautiful to hear your life and your story and to get to know you more personally. I really resonated with what you shared and I'm very excited to share your story with my audience. And yeah, so grateful and appreciative of you being here, especially, sorry, I'm still jumping because the mosquitoes trying to not get them in my eyes and up my nose, but no, it's been great to have you and yeah, to hear your openness, your open heart and your authenticity is always beautiful. So thank you so much for contributing. And thank you for your platform and the opportunity to share. Right, well, have a beautiful day. I think you said it's early for you, so you've got the whole day ahead of you. So I hope yes. it's a great one. And yes. um, we'll you catch as well. up one day in the future. Okay, take care listeners. of yourself and thank you again. Right, we'll do it for the listeners. I'll put all the descriptions and the links all in the description so they can follow through and find you and check out your course, check out your book and highly recommend it. And I think they'll be motivated too from listening to your words. Okay, thank Have you. a great day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Selfish Podcast. Don't forget to like, comment, share and leave a review if you can. It really helps other people find the content. And if you gain something from this, maybe someone else will too. I truly appreciate you being here. I'm grateful for every single one of you. You inspire me to continue to create content on YouTube, podcast, and as many platforms as I can online. So thank you so much. Big thank you to my patrons out there. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be online. If you'd like to become a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash Luke Greenheart. All the links will be in the description. And don't forget, you can get my free copy of my book, The Self, Who Am I? which gives clarity to identity and direction to your purpose through beautiful insights and perception. So go check that out. You can get it free at lukegreenheart.com forward slash free. Remember, links in the description. It's also available as a paperback on Amazon. Have a beautiful day. Truly appreciate you. Love life. Love yourself. Love others. Thank you again for being here.